0: So we all have these questions. And in last night's talk, I, I shared with you a Talmudic statement that says that when we arrive, quote-unquote, after the time that we have been allotted here, we will arrive at a court. And the court will, will present us with a list of questions that I named for you last night. Let me name some of them again. The court asked, did you establish times for learning? Kavata itim the Torah. Tzipita did you yearn anticipate redemption? We'll get to that tomorrow. And the first question that the Talmud says will be asked of us is, nasata v'natata be'emunah. Were you honest in business? The literal translation of nasata v'natata be'emunah is, nasata v'natata, did you give and take in faith? Be'emunah. Nasata v'natata be'emunah. So building upon the model of the Talmud, I would like to ask my own questions this morning. And I do that also from a place that recognizes that there are many names of God that resonate for me in our tradition. A lot of nicknames for God. Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rebono Olam, Yad, God has many names. And the name that I love the most, the one that scares me but also comforts me at the same time, is that God is called Amiti. Amiti means truth. The God of truth, or another way of saying that is that God is real. And wherever there is realness, and we know it, we can sniff it. God is present. So let's be real. Do I love well? Did I live fully? And can I learn to let go? Did I love well? Did I live fully? And can I learn to let go? Our love is the source of everything that we create and connect. If we act without a connection to the heart, even the greatest things in our life become dried up and meaningless or barren. Some years ago, a series of articles ran in the newspapers about plans to start a sperm bank for Nobel Prize winners. Remember that one? (laughs) At this time, a concerned feminist wrote into the Boston Globe, and she pointed out that if there were sperm banks, there should also be egg banks. The Boston Globe printed a letter of reply from George Wald, who himself was a Nobel Prize winning biologist from Harvard University. He was a gentleman and a man of wisdom, and so George Wald wrote to her and he said, You are absolutely right. It takes an egg as well as a sperm to start a Nobel laureate. Every one of them has had a mother and a father. You can say all you want of fathers, but their contribution to conception is really small. But I hope you weren't seriously proposing an egg bank, he writes. Nobel laureates aside, there isn't much in the way of starting one technically. There are some problems, but nothing is hard as involved in other kinds of breeder reactors. But think of a man so vain as to insist on getting a superior egg from an egg bank. Then he has to fertilize it. When it's fertilized, where does he go with it? To his wife? Here, dear, you can hear him saying, I just got this superior egg from an egg bank (laughs) and I fertilized it myself. Will you take care of it? I've got eggs to worry about on my own, she says. You know what you can do with your superior egg. Go rent a womb, and while you're at it, you'd better rent a room, too. You see, it just won't work, he writes. The truth is, what one really needs is not Nobel laureates, but love. How do you think one gets to be a Nobel laureate? The way one achieves most success in life, by trying To fulfill the urge to be loved. Our desire for love may be the strongest of our primal urges. And amazingly, wanting it so bad, one works all the time and ends up a Nobel laureate or a great guitarist or an artist or a gymnast or a great parent or a rabbi. These are all the consolation prizes, he writes. What makes them all matter is love. Love. Forget sperm banks and egg banks. Banks and love are not compatible, he says. If you don't know that, you haven't been to your bank lately. (laughs) So just practice loving. Love a Russian. You'd be surprised how easy it is and how it will brighten your morning. Love an Iranian, a Vietnamese, people not just here but everywhere. And then when you've gotten really good at it, he says try something hard like loving the politicians in our nation's capital. (laughs) The longing for love and the movement of love should permeate all of our activities. The happiness we discover in life is not about possessing or owning or even understanding. Instead, it is the discovery of love, the capacity to have a loving, free, and wise relationship with all of life. Our life is measured by, not by external achievements, but by internal, inner attainments. And we know this. We know this truth each time we close our hearts to those whom we love and who love us. We know this. We know this, that love is ultimately the most important lesson we are learning day in and day out here on this planet. Our spiritual lives begin with that quotient called the love quotient. So what is your love quotient? How proficient are you at expressing the love that you feel? How proficient are you at showing the love that you so obviously and clearly have? How often do you actually tell those around you that you love them and what it is about them that you love? And how quickly do you forgive and how long before you forget? Ultimately, love, as Iris Murdoch responded, is the extremely difficult realization that someone other than yourself is real. And so we arrive again at how real are we? How real are others? Do I live fully? It would be easy to dismiss this question as referring to quantity, fullness. Do I live fully might imply have I compiled my bucket list? Are there things I want to have that I've been reticent to give myself, etc.? Maybe I haven't acquired enough toys. I mean, if I want to be happy, shouldn't I have more gadgets in my life? But living fully is not about quantity. Living fully means showing up in your life, in the messy, uncomfortable realities of your present situations, and it means knowing that this moment, this life, is where all of our fantasies of the future are in fact really happening. It's not about tomorrow. Hayom, it's about today. Rabbi Alan Liu tells a wonderful story. A certain Rebbe had a close disciple who fell into a long period of staleness that troubled him deeply. He felt as if all meaning had been drained from his life and that when he prayed, his prayers turned to chalk and died in his mouth before he could even utter them. And the Rebbe, the teacher, aware of his disciples' problem, took him out of the village to a deep, dark forest. Before they entered the forest, the Rebbe said to the student, As you are entering the forest, ask God to give you the answer to your dilemma and then forget about this prayer because you must pay very close attention to the path through the forest. Otherwise, you'll get lost and never come out of the forest alive. So the student entered the forest asking God, For the answer to his struggle, and then he lost himself in following the path. As his rabbi had instructed him, he devoted all of his attention to the path ahead. Soon he began to take great pleasure in his path. He took pleasure in the working of his body as it found its own pace on the path. And in the fall of his foot on the cool forest floor, he was taken with the path itself, a verdant mossy path of deep, brilliant greens. And when he finally came out of the forest, he was smiling broadly, The Rebbe asked him, did God give you your answer? And the student started to weep. I forgot all about the question, he said. I put all of my attention on the path, and after a while I took so much pleasure in what was in front of my face that I forgot about the question altogether. In that case, the Rebbe said, I would say that God gave you an answer. The present moment is the only moment you experience yourself as being alive It's the only place that you experience your life at all. The walk through the forest, attendant with all of its difficulties and dangers, must invite us to focus on the path that we are walking. This is the answer that God provided the student, and it is the answer that God provides us every day. If you are trying to feel your life, and you fear that your life is dead to you, it may be because you aren't in your life. You're not in life's moment. You're not on life's path, but have taken a weird detour. If you want to come alive again, and if you want to bristle with wonder and intensity, be present in your life and watch the gray concrete turn into a brilliant emerald green. And the third question that we began with, remember, do I love... Do I live fully? Can I learn to let go? This letting go is a central theme in all spiritual practice as we encounter the preciousness and the brevity of life. When letting go is called for and we have not learned to do so, we suffer greatly. And when we get to the end of our life, we may have what is called a crash course. Like it or not, all who ultimately live must ultimately let go. We haven't been given an option on this one. The question is not whether we will, but whether we can learn to let go before time runs out and allow the changing mystery of life to move through us without fearing it, without holding and grasping. There's a great Buddhist teacher, Jack Kornfield, who tells a story of a young woman who sat with her mother during an extended bout of cancer. Part of this time, her mother was in the hospital, hooked up, to dozens of tubes and machines, mother and daughter agreed that the mother did not want to die this way, and when the illness progressed, she was finally removed from all of the medical paraphernalia and allowed to go home. Her cancer progressed further, and still the mother had a hard time accepting her illness. She tried to run the household from her bed to pay bills and to oversee all of the usual affairs of life. She struggled with her physical pain but she seemed to struggle more with her inability to let go. One day, in the midst of this ordeal, much sicker now and a bit confused, she called her daughter to her and said, Daughter, dear, please now pull the plug. And her daughter gently pointed out, Mother, you are not plugged in. Some of us have a lot to learn about letting go. Letting go and moving through life from one change to another brings the maturing of our spiritual being. In the end, we discover that the love that we have and to let go can all be the same thing. Both ways do not seek to possess and both allow us to touch each other in this moment without changing it, allowing us to be fully as we are, there's an old story that I remember hearing when I was 19 about a great sage called the Chafetz Chaim, the one who desired life. Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, who was a priest, Kohen he lived in in Russia. And once somebody was visiting him, and traveled a great distance from New York in order to receive a blessing. He had heard about the great blessings. That could be procured from this great man. He came to see him in his home, in his dwelling. It was a large house on a street in a European city, and he was directed to a small room in the back. You can imagine, he had traveled a long way to meet this great man. He entered into this large living room that had in it only a bed, a chair, and a few books. The man had expected much more from such a great sage, and after greetings, he said to the rabbi immediately, rabbi, where are your things? The rabbi, the Chavitz Chaim, asked in return, said to him, well, where are yours? And the man said, but rabbi, I'm only passing through. And the master answered him, so am I. So am I. In the stress and the complexity of our busy lives, we forget our deepest intentions and our deepest longings. We must practice asking ourselves these three questions, continuously awakening ourselves from a slumber that is induced by everything around us, catching ourselves as we fall from what we know to be true. When people come to the end of their life and they look back, the questions that they most often ask are not usually how much is in my bank account, how many books did I write, what did I build. If you've ever had the privilege of sitting with someone who's at that place, that sacred holy of holies, the questions that they ask are just as we have asked this morning. Did I love well? Did I live fully? And did I learn to let go? These simple questions are at the core of our tradition. There's only one book that is being written today and tomorrow and throughout this period, and that is the book of your life. All spiritual traditions are empty and vain if we can't love. Even the most exalted spiritual heights, the most exceptional spiritual attainments are unimportant if we cannot know how to live and even the most expensive gifts the most extravagant material possessions are meaningless if we don't fill them and know how to let them go may we practice giving and receiving in faith nasata venatata beemunah did you give and receive in faith and may one day may each of us be able to say when asked these three questions yes i loved well i lived fully And now I'm ready to let go. We rise together for the Musaf.